Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Music, Money, and Life podcast. As always, this podcast is brought to you by howtolicenseyourmusic.com. That's my website, and if you go there, you'll get a free ebook and video all about how to make money licensing your music in TV shows and films. On today's episode, I have John Heinrich with me. John is a pedal steel guitar player and saxophone player based out of Nashville. John is currently on the road with the legendary country artist Ronnie Millsap, and we had a great conversation. We talked for about a half hour or so about what it's like living in Nashville, touring with Ronnie Millsap, and all sorts of other great uh, stories. Uh, But before we get to the interview, just a special request. I've been doing this podcast for a little over a year now. I think going on a year and a half, I've done about 20 episodes so far. I have a lot more uh, guests lined up and I look forward to doing this for a long time. But I need your help. If you like this podcast, if you appreciate the uh, the guests that I've been bringing on and the interviews that we've been doing, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes. First of all, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And secondly, leave me some positive feedback in iTunes and give me a good rating. It really helps me uh, build credibility and will help me attract better and better guests in the future and just make this podcast uh, better overall going forward. So with that out of the way, let's get to today's interview. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, another edition of the Music, Money, and Life podcast. Today, I'm talking with... uh, uh, a pedal steel guitarist who is currently on the road with Ronnie Millsap. I'm speaking with John Heinrich, and I understand you're actually on your uh, tour bus right now. John, correct? That's right. I'm I'm in my bunk. <laughs> in your bunk, nice. And where are you uh, headed to? Where are you en route to? Uh, we're going to Newkirk, uh, Oklahoma, and then I think we've got one in Tulsa after after that. Okay, how long is the tour? How many more uh, dates do you do you have out in front of you? Uh, well, he, he usually does around 60 dates per year, so it, it comes up to that. Uh, right now, we're just doing weekends. Gotcha. And what uh, what type of venues are, are you guys playing? Uh, this one that we're coming up tonight, this is a casino, mm-hmm. and uh, we've, done, we've also done, like, outdoor arenas. We've both done indoor arenas, and... Uh, and we've actually done uh, political rallies and stuff like that, small, smaller political rallies. Oh wow! And uh, what 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 type of rallies? Well, the first one uh, that we did that I that I played on, the first gig that I played on was a uh, political rally in uh, I think it was Illinois, Heron, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And it was a Republican uh, Republican thing. Okay, nice. Well, we'll mm-hmm. avoid getting too much into politics today, but um, <laughs> glad to have you on the phone, and and I'm. Curious, you know, I'm looking at your bio. It sounds like you've played with a lot of uh, a lot of big names over the years, particularly in the country genre. How did you hook up with with, with Ronnie Millsap? What's your what's your background? Well, uh, uh, let me mention this. I mean, uh, networking is 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 part of being a musician, and and, and you've got to you've got to like networking. You've got to like talking to people, just like what we're doing right now. You've got to contact with people and uh, get your name out there. But that's how I got the job with Ronnie Millsap. Uh, I knew the uh, the keyboard player that uh, actually he's with Sarah Evans right now. But uh, I saw an ad that he put out in a newspaper there in Nashville for a studio, and I hit 
I hit him up and said, look, I, I play this and I've done this and I've played with these people and uh, sent him an email and he emailed me back and said, well, I've got some stuff coming up and I knew this band for, for many years. Of course, they didn't need a steel player at that time and then finally it, it came up that they were going to need a steel player and I was the first call on that. So that's how I got the job. Nice. And when was that? Uh, I guess I started with a band last December. I was at, before that I was actually playing with it, playing horn saxophone with an R&B band in, in Nashville, BB Kings. <laughs> uh, you're playing at BB Kings at at the club? Yeah, there's a there's a club in Nashville, BB Kings. It's franchise, mm-hmm. uh huh. Sure. And how long you're you're based in Nashville, right? I've been here since '85. Uh, I was supposed to come here in '74, mm-hmm. Nashville, uh, and play steel guitar in Opryland, but Nashville, back in those days, to me, this personally to me, was just a different place, uh, and that voice in my head said, don't go yet, and uh, I waited till 85 <laughs> to, to come down to Nashville, but I knew a lot of people, I knew Ricky Staggs, uh, I knew uh, Jim Barney, who uh, did a lot of the Ernest, Ernest Goes to Camp, uh, movies, stuff like mm-hmm. that. I knew a lot of people that had come down from uh, Lexington Exile, among other people. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. And what did you, when you got to Nashville in, in 85, what kind of work were you getting at that point? What were you doing? Well, let me say this. Uh, when you come into a town like that, you, you need to you need to firm your base up. And what I mean by that is you need to, you need to get a straight gig for a while till you can effectively network with people. Yeah. That's what I did. I got I got a day job, and then I'd go out on the weekends and, and with my cards and uh, talk to people and just. I mean, you can't walk into a club looking for a gig because you're automatically a threat. So I mean, I what I would do, I was just go in and, and just talk to the guys, say, "Hey, I'm just just having fun and looking around and checking things out." Uh, and I just made the contacts and finally got. Actually, I played down at the Stockyard for like nine years. That Stockyard is a uh, club there in town, which used to be the old Stockyards where they would put the cattle on the railheads, and they, that's where they did the paperwork for all the uh, for all the cattle that was going to be shipped out for to other pe- places in the country. And I got a job down there doing uh, playing steel guitar and, and uh, saxophone and dobo. So that's how I got in. That's how I got you know just. By, by luck, but I mean, I made my luck happen, too. <laughs> nice. And when you were playing at the Stockyard, what, what were you playing, were you in, was it like a house band, or were you in a, was it a group of rotating musicians? I know you played with some some big names. I'm looking on your website. It looks like you've, and maybe you can kind of clarify, you've played with or shared the stage with Jerry Lee Lewis, the Beach Boys, Reba McIntyre, the Averly uh, Brothers, the, the, the list goes on. Can you kind of tell me about some of these experiences? What was that like? Yeah, what that was is we were the house band there. And when any and when I was there in uh, what the, it was from 86 till 95, that was Stockyard was the, was the place to go. And everybody and their brother that came into town would come, come in down there. Uh, we picked up a job with Peter Noonan from uh, Herman's Hermits like that. And he came in and heard the band and, and hired us for his job there in uh, Nashville. Uh, there was a big arena outside, out, outdoor arena mm-hmm. that we played at called Starwood. And uh, we picked up that job. But a lot of the people like Jerry Lee Lewis, Beach Boys, those people would come in and they would sit in with the band. 
Sure. Uh, I was exposed to a lot of different people. I mean, we played with Garth Brooks uh, before he was anybody. Uh, uh, Shania Twain came in and sat in with us, you know. I mean, this was before that anybody was, uh, you know, was anybody. In yeah. fact, uh, we're playing, we're sharing the stage tonight with Tracy Lawrence, and I'm going to mention Tracy Lawrence. I remember when he used to come into the stockyard, this was shortly before he got his contract. <laughs> Nice. I don't know if you'll remember me, but I mean, you know, that's how we—that's how it works. So you were around when you know before a lot of these people who are now big names were really that well known when they were just kind of getting getting started. It sounds like. Right. The the people that are that are out on the road right now, that generation, that's you know, I was there when when they were just forging their careers. Uh, of course, I mean, there's another generation that's in right now, you know, the Taylor Swift generation and, and the younger people like that. But, yeah, I was there when uh, the Alan Jacksons and people like that, Reba McIntyre's, uh, Buddy Millsap, and people like that were doing what they were doing, you know, with their careers. So for, now, for the bulk of your career, it sounds like you were doing a lot of, uh, you know, playing gigs in Nashville. How much, how much of your time has been spent on the road like it is now with, with Ronnie Millsap? Well, actually, not that much. Uh, I decided after when I was working at the stockyard, I had a lot of time to go out and network with the studios and network with different people. So I was able to play a lot of studio dates and uh, work around town and, and work live jobs. And, of course, there's a lot of showcases going on all the time for the labels. So I was able to get into that. Or I, and I realized, well, that that's never going to go away. Uh, I really wasn't looking for a road gig. Now, in, in 91, I went out with Hank Jr. Uh, mm -hmm. That was just for three months, you know. Uh, yeah. But they needed somebody. Uh, they they went to go pick up the saxophone player for that particular tour, which was called the Lone Wolf Tour. And uh, I was told that his girlfriend answered the door and said, he's not going. So they called me from Biloxi, Mississippi, and said, uh, if you can fly down to Shreveport the next night, you can uh, join the band. I said, well, I've got to tell the Stockyard band, you know, what's going on. Everybody in the Stockyard band said, go for it. So uh, I flew out the next day and, and played with Hank Jr. Started, you know, that three-month tour with him. Nice. And you were playing saxophone? Yeah. Because no. I already I knew the steel player and I knew the drummer. Uh, the drummer actually played, uh, what was it, Soul Survivor. They put out Eye of the Tiger. Uh, he was playing mm -hmm. Hank at that time and, and I knew the steel player, so they let me know that the saxophone player was thinking about possibly leaving. So I knew that was that was coming up at some time. Cool. And what was that experience like? What was that that tour like? <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I, you yeah. know, it was pretty much fun. Uh, I I like to party, but I don't like to party that much. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like I said, I, I I worked with Hank Jr. and lived. I mean, they were trying to pull me out of my bunk coming back to Nashville at the party, you know, and, and I'm saying, no, I'm, I'm tired, man. I want to go to bed. <laughs> but they were all nice people. I mean, I had a good time, and it, it was definitely, definitely good on my resume, and, and, and that helps to validate, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened after the initial three months? That It was just a one-off, just a one-time thing? Yeah, that was they, – they picked – I actually had gotten into – I got back down to the stockyard, and uh, after that tour was over with, and I got my job back down there. I really didn't want to go back out on the, on the road. And when yeah. they called, uh, I, you know, I just well, I had a good time and everything like that. I told them, and but I 
I, I really didn't want to go back out because I had a lot of studio session work going on and, and other stuff like that. I would go out maybe to Louisville, which is not that far away from, uh, from, uh, Nashville or Memphis. You know, it's about 200, 300 miles away or whatever, but I didn't want to go out any further than that. Sure. So you went back to Nashville and you went back to playing at the stockyard and, and doing studio work. Tell me a little bit about the, the studio work. It sounds like you've done a lot of session work over the years. Any any notable projects that, that you can tell us about? Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, I mentioned that in my uh, bio. I worked a lot with uh, Wayne Jackson. Wayne Jackson is known as the uh, Memphis Horns. He played on... Uh, uh, what was that? Uh, da 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 da. <laughs> uh, what is that? Is that Sting or no? That's not Sting. Um, Sledgehammer. He played on stuff like that. Oh, but Peter Gale. On, yeah, yeah. He played on Otis Redding stuff. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't. I don't want to get it off too much from from our conversation here. But Wayne Jackson's best story, and I told him this was his best story, is that they had to stay in the studio in uh, Stack Studio and do the horns on uh, Dock of the Bay, well, if they would have been with Otis Redding, they would have been on the plane that went down. So I told Wayne, I said, there's your story right there. That's your best story. But anyway, wow. networking with people like that, I, of course, I met uh, Wayne Jackson down at the stockyard. He used to come in and sit in with us, too. Um, but anyway, uh, leading up to the, to the best thing that ever happened to me, uh, Wayne booked me on a session there in Nashville, we went in, and I put the headphones on. We listened back to the track. It was none other than Louis Armstrong that uh, they cut some tracks on years ago, I mean, before he passed, of course, and they were rebuilding tracks around him, and you could hear the through the headphones, you could hear the other band in the background, but they had rebuilt the drums, the bass, uh, and we were putting on horn a horn track on that. So that, was, that was just too cool and i'm i wrote the producer on that cowboy jack who uh produced people like jerry lee lewis uh and, and i told him i said that is that was the pinnacle of my career right there <laughs> that's, oh, that's awesome you know that that was the biggest thing that ever happened to me i'll have to say that well i mean that sounds awesome but it but it also sounds like what you're doing right now playing with ronnie Millsap is a pretty incredible opportunity as well you know i don't know what his following is like Currently, but but at one point he was a huge huge name in in, in the country uh, music industry. What, what are what are the crowds like like now? What what kind of a following do, does he have in 2014? He's got fanat- what I would call a fanatical crowd. Now these people, they they just love him. They just love him when he comes out. I mean, it's just it's wow. It's it's such a rush to play play with Ronnie. Now Ronnie, I'll tell you this, he's. He's the poster child for humble. I've never met yeah. anybody as humble as him. He is one nice person, and he's great to the band, which makes it—it it just makes for a nice working situation. And sure. that's one of the reasons that I'm out here right now doing what I do, is is because uh, Ronnie's just a great person. But the crowds—they just love him to death. I mean, it, it's unreal. I, I didn't even know that he had 40 hits, number one hits. Yeah, so I came out on the road with these guys. Yeah, I know he's a, a legendary uh, figure for sure. Uh huh. 
definitely. So, so what, what what is like what is it like going out doing? Uh, so you're playing like casinos and different venues. What is a typical day like? You're obviously you're on your bus right now. Then you get to your vi- venue. I imagine there's a sound check. Can you kind of walk us through what that's like? Yeah. What we usually do, we usually pull into the town. Uh, it's usually, uh, I'd say, anywhere from nine o'clock to twelve o'clock, somewhere in that time period they usually shoot to try to get into the uh, venue to uh, get their equipment in. Uh, we, we pull in. They've usually got hot catering there, uh, food for the band. So we go in and just, just take it easy. Uh, they usually have a crew there that will bring all the equipment in. And then uh, I I usually try to get out with my camera and uh, just take pictures of, of the town that towns that we're in. Of course, this is a casino. I mean, I'll, I'll get a few pictures from the outside, and, and you can't take pictures on the inside, but I'll document it, you know, and put it on my Facebook page, just let mm-hmm. people know what's going on. But uh, I like to get out and walk around and just see see some of the towns, because we, we usually do sound check around 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So if we if we pull into a town at 10 o'clock, I mean, we've got a lot of time till, till 5 o'clock. I mean, I can even go around and walk around the town take a nap, take a shower, and by that time, you know, and go and set my equipment up and and uh, get ready for sound check around 5 o'clock usually. So that, that's a pretty normal day right now. Cool. And then what time do the shows usually start? Around, around 8? Uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, tonight we're going to be a little bit later than that because Tracy Lawrence is going to be, he's, he's coming on before us. So mm-hmm. we'll go on probably around 8 or, or 9 o'clock. I, I, I'm not sure what the itinerary said. But I think it'll be around that time, something like that. And how many people will you play for? Do you have any idea how many people will be in, in attendance? There'll probably be uh, around anywhere um, a thousand to fifteen hundred, something like that. It, it just depends. Nice. Uh, probably something like that with, with two headliners like this. So yeah, yeah, that's a big, that's a good sized crowd. A, that's huge. Uh huh. Yeah, they. It's I don't, it's just different each place that we go to each venue. You know, it just depends on what's going on. And like I said, that that political party that we did that was real small, but they were really receptive. I mean, they really enjoyed what was going on. But that was only like about six hundred people. Yeah. And then you go from that to what <laughs> two thousand or three thousand people. So it's just totally different. Sure. So let, let me ask you this. It, it sounds to me like you've been uh, you've been at this a long time. It sounds to me like you've you've played music your whole life. Have you? You know, I, I know you mentioned like when you got to Nashville, you still you had a day job initially. How long have you been a full time like just making money from music? I decided to go into music around nineteen seventy, either seventy or seventy one. Uh, I'd been playing bass in a band and uh, did a little bit of college at that time, and I decided I'd either I'd, I'd do something else or I'd go into music seriously mm-hmm. and do it and, 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 and love it even when it's at its worst or when, when things are going bad. You know, and you, if you could stand back when things are going bad, say, well, I still love what I do, and I'm gonna, it, it just makes me try even harder. You know, that's that's when I decided to uh, just go into music for a career at that point. 
Yeah. And I imagine you've seen a lot of changes over the years. What, what is, um, you know, how has the industry changed in Nashville in the, you know, recording studio work, the live work that, that you do? How has it changed over, over the years? Has it become more challenging for you or, or are you so established at this point that work is pretty steady? Yeah. Uh, there again, uh, the, the key word to steady work is, uh, what the uh, Einstein theory of relatively, uh, excuse me, relativity is, uh, steady work plus, uh, love of your music equals networking. <laughs> if you don't network, it's not going to happen. I know a lot of musicians that are, and I talk to them every day, and a lot of people are saying, well, I don't know why, you know, I, I'm, I'm just as good as that guy, but they don't network. Uh, yeah. That's really important. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm established in, in that respect. Uh, some of the different things, of course, that have, that have happened in the recording industry is uh, the, just the dig- when the digital age came in, I mean, that, that just took everybody by surprise. I mean, nobody really knew where it was going to go or how quick it was going to go or whatever, but I mean, it's settled in right now. I think a lot of the people are used to the formats and, and are, are working with that. Uh, of course, a lot of people are still talking about recording, say, on Pro Tools, but mm-hmm. then they'll master to tape. Yeah. You know, they'll go, they'll go to a, like a quarter inch or, uh, or, uh, back to two track, you know, back to, I'm uh, not two track, but, uh, uh, two inch tape, you know, just to get the warmth of that and then master from that. So it has its, its pluses and its minuses, but I mean, it's finding its level just like water. It'll find its own level. So that's one of the biggest differences that I, that I would say is going on in, in industry right now. Nice. Have you gotten into licensing at all? Have, have you dabbled in that? Yeah. Uh, not so much into the licensing. I'm talking to a lot of people right now that have licensing firms mm-hmm. where they license bits and pieces of music, and uh, I'm working, going to be working for some of these people. Uh, what I'm doing right now on that end is I'm publishing, uh, offering publishing, and, and I pitch a little bit around around Nashville when I see that somebody's, you know, somebody's looking for material and stuff like that. So that's what I'm doing into that that end of it, and that's of course that's what interests me about your what you're doing with your uh, music licensing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's why I asked. Do you write music as as well, John? I sure do. Yeah, uh, I write a lot of instrumental music, and then I co-write with a lot of people, and that's that's really important too to co-write for sure. You know. Nice. And then are you, the songs that you're writing, are you pitching these to, I mean, I know in, in Nashville there's a big, it seems like there's a, like a huge songwriting community more so than L.A. and New York, from, from my understanding, where there's a lot of songwriters and there's a lot of pitching to publishers to have your songs recorded with, with or, or by other artists. Have you, do you get into that kind of aspect of things at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah? that's like you just mentioned i mean uh nashville is, is the capital for songwriters i mean that's that's the haven right there and a lot of people come from california and new york all the time uh that are songwriters and they'll settle in you know and and find different groups uh and then, then from those groups they'll they'll find people that they feel compatible with to songwrite and stuff like that uh and i'm i'm i'm, I'm doing the same thing i'm looking for people that i feel compatible with uh 
and then I'll songwrite with them, and then, you know, we'll just go from there and see what we could do. Uh, there were some people that, out in California that I just recently uh, co-wrote with. Uh, one was, was in Florida, and one was in California, and here I am in Nashville, and, and we're co-writing, you know. And so, I mean, and I'll, in fact, I'll probably pitch that material next week. Nice. And then who, who will you pitch it to? Just different publishers in town? Yeah, there's a there's a uh, pitch list that comes out in Nashville. It's called Music Grow Facts. Uh, it'll let you know who's looking. Uh, they tell you what the majors are doing, uh, the artists, what they're looking for. It'll tell you a little bit about uh, who to pitch it to. And, of course, I mean, you can't just pitch crap because if you pitch crap, uh, they'll listen, they'll listen to it one time and you're out. So Yeah, the door is closed. You know, because they've got way too much stuff that, that people are trying to pitch to them. They've probably got a gazillion songs per day that they listen to, and you can usually tell when you when you hear a demo where it's going to go. I mean, you can usually hear within the, the first few minutes, what uh, half of a minute, what it's going to sound like. If it sounds like crap starting off, it's probably not going to go anywhere. So yeah, have you had any you know, success gotta, in getting uh, songs that you've pitched? Uh, signed to publishers or cut by different artists. I've got some some uh, some stuff placed in movies. Uh, yeah, little, what, what, little bits and pieces. Well, it was a movie that actually came out of L.A. and it was uh, the, called Encounters of the Fourth Kind, and it was I would call it like a B movie. Yeah. And I think what they were trying to do is they were they they were trying to uh, get basic stuff together. So they had the soundtracks. They had basic idea for the. Uh, for the film, they had all the artwork, and then they were probably going to take that and go after uh, investors at that point, which I don't think anything really happened with that, but I, I got it into some stuff like that. Cool. Uh, I, I, I've written some stuff with, with Razzie Bailey. That, that was who that was through. Uh, Razzie Bailey was, was really big in the 80s uh, as a country artist, and I've written some stuff with him. and So, I mean, it's just, you've got to, you got to pitch out as much as you can and just hope for the best. It's it's a it's a got to play the dice, you know. You got to be out there networking and there again, I mean, that word comes up, networking and rolling the dice. Yep, absolutely. It's a business uh, really driven by relationships, so it's it's definitely helpful to know the the right people. That's exactly it. I just recently played. With, uh, in fact, I used a guitar player on my my last session for my own project. And he had written the, uh, with his father, he had, they had written the, uh, the lead song for Ronnie Millsap's, uh, new project, uh, Summer, Summer of 16, uh, well, Summer, uh, 17. And, uh, he's, he's playing that on, Ronnie's playing that on his show. So, I mean, it's all over Nashville. I mean, you can usually talk to somebody that's, that's doing something, songwriting and pitching. And, I mean, that's what it's all about. And, you can't, I don't know, if you want to just come in and play drums and uh, that's all you want to do, I mean, that's cool too, but it, I say just get into the whole thing. I mean, just in, embrace the whole nine yards of what's going on. I mean, it's, your chances of, of uh, doing something substantial are a lot better if you, if you do that. Yeah, I talk about this concept a, a lot, that it, that it really pays to diversify, especially in 
you know, 2014 with, with the way the music industry is, there's a lot of uncertainty. So for my mind, if, if you are pursuing licensing and you're also on the road or you're, you're doing live, live shows and you're songwriting, like you said, it, it, it's just, you're just increasing your odds of something taking off. And that's what it's all about. That's why I play saxophone, steel guitar, flute, dobro, and and on and on and on. I mean, that's exactly why I did that. I, you got to you have to diversify unless unless you just want to have fun. I mean, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. And, and then at the end of the day, you say, "Well, I had fun." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not that. not everybody has to uh, be a professional musician, you know. Right. You know. I mean, if that's what what your goal is, then then. And you want to accomplish that? That's that's cool too. Yeah. And I just love it. I love talking to people. I love networking. I love uh, listening to new songs. I love pitching songs, and and just I love the whole thing. Yeah. It's well, you know, I work I work with a lot of musicians, and and something you know that that I see as being pretty common is a lot of musicians will find. You know, again, it goes back to like multiple revenue streams and, and diversifying where they'll find one thing, like maybe it's licensing where they can make a good part-time income, but it's not quite enough to live on. But then they can supplement it by doing something else like production or teaching or gigging. And they're still able at the end of the day to do what they love. And to me, like that's, right. you know, I, I think it's it's incredible. Like I'd rather do that than have one job you know, that I hated, that I, that I made a full-time income from. You know what I mean? I agree totally with you on that. Yeah. That's where it's at. Yep. Well, John, listen, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. I want to be respectful of, of your time. I know you're, you're on the road, and I'm sure you've got things to do. But what I would like to do is I, I like to end each podcast by playing a song from my guest. So I'd like to... If if you could send me a song when we're done, I'll play that at the end of the podcast. Do you have a song in mind that you can uh, send to me? Something you've written? Well, uh, I don't have anything that I could send you till uh, till we actually get to the venue and I get get out to a Wi-Fi. But I could send you a song for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, no, you can send it to me whenever. I mean, I'll you know can be later today, tomorrow, even. I'll wait for you, okay. and when I get that track, I'll put it at the end of the podcast and edit that all together. Excellent. Okay, that sounds great, Aaron. What What will you send me? Do you Do you know? Uh, it'll probably be either something from my, my new project, or or one of my my second project, uh, which would be an instrumental track. Um, if you could pick one now, that way I can just set it up now, and then it'll save me less time editing this all together. Okay. Interesting. Uh, let me think. <laughs> They're all good because I like them all. Uh, do you think an instrumental track would be okay, or would you rather prefer sure, a uh, sure vocal? something that uh, showcases your your pedal steel playing? I think would be would be cool. Okay, I've got one called "So Cool," and it's uh, that's Z W E L instead of S O, <laughs> and then "Cool" K U. So Zool Cool, Zool Cool. So cool, yeah. By John Heinrich. I really appreciate you, John, uh, coming on the podcast. And if people want to learn more about you, John, they can go to your website, which is johnheinrich.net, and that's spelled right. J-O-H-N, 
and the last name Heinrich is H-E-I-N-R-I-C-H. John Heinrich. John, thanks so much for uh, doing this with me today. Well, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. Maybe I'll get out there and see you sometime. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe I can sit in with you sometime. That'd be cool. Yeah, come on down to Nashville. I'd love to. John, have a great day. Thanks, Aaron. You too.